the trick is is getting the the people and the processes adapted to leveraging those tech those technologies that can truly drive scale and drive a better client experience. Industry pioneer, innovative, cutting edge, and fintech leader. These are just a few of the many words that come to mind from my conversation with Eric Clark. Eric is the CEO at Orion Advisor Services. Orion is a holistic software solution for financial advisors built to help firms become integrated and streamlined with powerful technology. Eric started Orion as a solution to help one of their sister companies, but has now expanded to serve over 1,800 financial advisors and serving more than one-third of all billion-dollar RIA firms in the country. And recently, Eric was named as one of Investment News Innovators for 2019. And today, we're lucky enough to have Eric on the show to talk through the innovations that are happening within our industry. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Eric, thank you for joining us. Are you uh, calling from Omaha? I am. Thank you for having me on your 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 show today, Matt. I, I appreciate the opportunity to, to spend some time with you and, and to talk to you. Well, great. Well, we uh, we appreciate uh, you and in the time and um, and I guess uh, Omaha is uh, it's starting to turn spring over there. I'm assuming now, huh? It is. You know, we had a, a very long cold winter here in Omaha, so we're uh, glad to see some green grass and some some blue skies. That's for sure. That's great. That's great. Well, I'm excited. I um I I can um. I, I love the story that y'all have at Orion, and so I'm excited for you to be able to share it with our listeners. And, um, you know, being a family business, uh, I can relate to that over here as well. So um, at least we have that in common. So I think, you know, for for everybody to start out, why, why don't you kind of give the, uh, the background on where Orion came from, if you could, uh, so for the listeners to set the foundation? Absolutely. So... You know, at Orion, we really got uh, started out as we were, I was running the operations and technology for an RIA business. And at that RIA business, uh, going back some 20 plus years ago, we were really hitting some some, uh, scale issues, some challenges uh, to accommodate our continued growth and success. And one of the challenges that we had was that we had uh, outgrown our portfolio management or portfolio accounting system. And so we, during the mid nineties, we, we embarked on a search to, you know, uh, find a system that would support our fiduciary uh, business model, as well as support, uh, doing business with clients on a fee on an advisory fee basis, and at that time there weren't a lot of choices. We we tried a couple of choices uh, that we thought would improve our situation, but but they didn't. And as a result, I uh, along with uh, some of my management team came up with a business plan to create the company that today is Orion, and. In December of 1999, we actually split the uh, the the tech uh, business away from the RIA, and we embarked on a journey uh, to create the Orion technology. And um, 
and I think that, you know, starting back in 99, I mean, that's 20 years. I mean, I guess this December will be 20 years um, of that kind of separation from the RIA. I mean, you've seen, you've seen some innovations within the technology space and you, I mean, you've, you've seen the building of the RA and now building of a technology company. Um, and I think that Orion's becoming a brand name in the industry. I'd be interested to know what challenges, because everybody that knows Orion today knows of Orion of, of today, right? They don't necessarily remember the Orion of 99, 2000, 2001, et cetera. So what challenges did you face as you were beginning to innovate in this industry so early when technology was so different than it is today? You know, the biggest hurdle that we faced initially as we started the Orion business was the uh, advisor's willingness to uh, outsource the reconciliation and do business uh, with a web-based technology. So at that time, in the late 90s, it was in early 2000s, it was more, uh, more acceptable to an advisory firm to, you know, receive software on a uh, disk, install that software on a locally maintained server. And in so doing, it it gave the advisor a sense of uh, comfort with regard to their client uh, data and securing that client data. They, They felt like having it on their own network was the way to go. And as time went on and doing business you know, through the uh, internet became more uh, accepted, the popularity of our software as a service offering, you know, really began to to grow as well. So, you know, initially, I, I'll never forget our first uh, Charles Schwab conference we went to. We we're so excited. We had, you know, essentially uh, an MVP version of our offering available ready to show advisors and the biggest stumbling block that we came home, uh, you know, kind of disappointed about was just the lack of willingness to, to do business through uh, the internet. Now today, you know, we all gain a lot of additional uh, comfort and security by doing business uh, through the web and knowing that, you know, hosting standards are being met, sec- secure practices are being implemented um, you know, and so so as doing business through the web became more accepted, then you know the growth of our technology really really took off. What I, I you know, it's interesting because everything is so new. I think that you know when you were launching it as a web based version, everybody thought of putting it on a disk on their own servers for data reasons. And you know, I think that as technology has evolved, there's always new stumbling blocks, right? So now people are more comfortable with you know a web based. Uh, portfolio management system or a web-based CRM as opposed to host locally. Um, but now there's different you know, hurdles, right, of different types of technologies of adopting you know, text messaging or artificial intelligence or any of those types of things. Why, I guess, from your perspective of making it over some of these hurdles and these uh, innovation curves of technology within our space, why do you think it's so, uh, it takes so long for advisors to adopt new ways of doing business or new technologies in this business? You know, today advisors have a lot of really great choices when it comes time to implementing technology within their 
uh, firms. And those choices did not exist 20 years ago. And ultimately, you know, there are so many technologies and so many choices for uh, independent advisors today that it, it might even be a bit overwhelming, you know, which uh, may, in essence, become, you know, uh, overload and, uh, you know, maybe even prevent them from, from taking some steps forward. I think it's really important when advisors look at technology to look essentially at, at two things. You know, first, is this can this technology drive scale to my business? Can it make me more operationally efficient? Can it create repeatable processes, repeatable uh, brand experiences for my investors? And second, uh, you know, can this uh, technology improve my client experience? And so, you know, if firms look at their tech purchases, uh, you know, with a goal to uh, improve scale or improve client experience, you know, typically they'll have uh, a path forward to making a decision and implementing uh, technology within their firms. But, you know, like my friend uh, Spencer Siegel at Actify often says, you know, it goes people, process, then technology. So when you look at tech purchases and moving your business forward, the first thing that you have to do is make sure that your your people are on board with that technology decision. You know, make sure that they understand the why behind uh, the, you know, the implementation of the new tech. So get, get your people on board, have them involved in the purchasing decision, make sure that they are uh, excited about it, you know, maybe even uh, designate someone to be the evangelist within your firm to help promote that technology and the adoption. Then the second thing is you've got to look uh, past the people. You've got to look at the processes that you're going to need to uh, streamline and change. Uh, and then third is the technology. And so ultimately, there are Quite honestly, there's there's more technology available today than most firms are able to effectively implement, and it's because we're not spending enough enough time on the people side of the business, the process side of the business, to in essence fully utilize and take advantage of the technology that's that's available to us today. Would you would you think it's a fair statement to say that? Uh... And I don't think, I think that we, because we're talking about financial advisors and technology, and this is, that's who the listeners are, I'm going to just, you know, silo it into this industry. But the reason why our industry uh, kind of has a, um, uh, I'll say a negative connotation or a hesitancy against technologies is because they go in with that that kind of those three processes flipped. They expect the technology to solve process problems to help alleviate people problems that they're having as opposed to looking at it the right way of people process technology. And so they come in and they say, well, I bought the technology, so shouldn't it just work and, and relieve all of these great problems that there is as opposed to understanding that it takes time to understand you know, and, and get implemented as well, but then understand how it's going to solve those challenges. I mean, do you think that we have, as an industry, have just been looking at that that funnel or that step ladder uh, the opposite way? Absolutely, we have. You know, most of the decisions are made from a tech perspective, then 
uh, process and then people and it, and it really ultimately needs to, to go the other way around. So, you know, you can do very simple things to change that dynamic and increase the adoption of, of tech within your firm. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, if a firm involves their staff that will be utilizing the technology in the demos, in the RFP process, the adoption of that technology will be higher as compared to a firm that that uh, purchases the technology and has a staff meeting and simply lets them know about the decision that was made. Um, beyond uh, involving the staff, you also need to involve your your uh, workflows and your business processes. So examine the way that you do business today and see what changes and what things could be optimized utilizing new technology. So I think it's always very helpful when firms say, we do A, B, C, D to execute this process. And then we can go in and show them how we can optimize that process, optimize their way of doing business, you know, utilizing the technology that, that we have available. I always, I always tell people when you've met one independent advisor, independent advisor, you've met one independent advisor, meaning the firms that we do business with, they all add value to their client relationships in in very unique and different ways. And they need technology that helps, helps them accentuate their value proposition in the marketplace. Those technologies are most likely readily available to firms the integration of those technologies with other technologies that they use, that that is something that is available to firms today. But the trick is is getting the the people and the processes adapted to leveraging those tech those technologies that can truly drive scale and drive a better client experience. Yeah, no, I agree wholeheartedly with that. And I think that, you know, um we're seeing it more and more of advisory firms bringing in the people that are going to be impacted or the users of the technology more and more, which I think is helpful to get adoption. And, and so, you know, I, I think that you also mentioned earlier about how the advisory world, financial advisors have so much more technology out there today than, than ever before. And it can be overwhelming, which then can cause kind of people just to sit on their, their hands because they don't know, they don't have enough education necessarily maybe, or they don't have enough experience to understand how to utilize all the technologies. And I think it's because of the innovation that's happened. You were at the really forefront of it. And I think you have, you know, you know by many of our, our peers in our industry are seen as one of the more, more innovative minds in the industry, uh, especially, you know, in investment news innovator, 2019, et cetera. So I'd be interested to know where do you think we are in this game of innovation? Are we still in the first inning? Do advisors still have a lot more that that's going to come down the pike for them? Or are we in the later half, the seventh inning? And, and I'd love to kind of understand how you come to the conclusion that you think you, you do. Well, I think that, you know, as far as technology innovation goes, you know, it's, it's like the, looking at the, the right side of the letter U. It, it's not something that, that goes up, you know, like a, a V up and to the right. It's like a U. And, you know, quite honestly, we're just about to the point where tech innovation is going to take off and, and, you know, very, uh, at a, even more rapid pace in the future than what we've experienced in the past. 
But that being said, you know, many times advisors will look at uh, their client demographic and they will say, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm dealing with primarily baby boomers, which is good because the baby boomers, you know, there are 10,000 of them that retire every day and they have, you know, the vast majority of, of the wealth. And so that that makes sense. And typically firms that are working with uh, baby boomers uh, are very successful. That being said, baby boomers' expectations with regard to technology and how it should work is a very close alignment to how millennials look at technology. And the reason that I say that is that baby boomers are using iPads, they're watching shows on Netflix, they uh, are using Uber for transportation, they are you know, using all of the same technologies that millennials uh, use as well. Because of that, you know, advisory firms have to be willing to say, what can I do to provide an experience that is on par, not just with competitors within uh, my industry, but competitors outside of my industry, experiences outside of our industry. You know, what are those experiences that people are leveraging today in their lives and and what can I learn from them and bring back to operate, you know, my business more effectively? You know, we've we've changed from a situation where brands were built based on advertising and promotion to brands being built based on experiences and social uh, sharing of those experiences with each other. So our brand starts with a prospect and ends with that client experience. And every interaction along the way builds that brand experience. And that brand ex- that brand experience for baby boomers, the expectation of that is pretty high right now. And that experience that expectation really is driven from their experiences of working with companies outside of financial services. Mm -hmm. So if we're looking at companies like Amazon, if we're looking at companies like Netflix, and we're saying, what can we learn from those companies to drive innovation within my uh, firm? Those companies will actually be able to innovate, adopt and implement technology that really allows them to grow their business, grow their their future uh, opportunities. You know, firms that effectively do that have more business uh, coming at them than than they can uh, nearly accommodate. So, you know, it's a great time to be in the advice business in the sense that you know we have all these baby boomers approaching or in retirement. That's a fantastic. Uh, situation demographically for us. But at the same time, we need to make sure that our businesses are innovating, that we're, our client experience, uh, when a client works with an advisor, that that experience is not just on par with the robos and what they're doing, but it's on par with 
the great tech experiences outside of our industry as well. So you're not a believer in the common excuse that many advisors would say of, you know, a technology that maybe involves e-signature or text messaging or video conferencing uh, that say, well, my clients, I may, I work with older clients and this seems more like a millennial type of solution. Uh, You're not a believer in that excuse because you're seeing it across the spectrum of people interacting. I'm sure with the Orion app, with their advisors, their, their ages are anywhere from probably 20 to 95 or a hundred. I'm assuming that's fair to say, because that's something that a lot of advisors tend to say when we go to conferences and talk to them and et cetera. Well, you know, and maybe it's because I'm just such a strong believer that you have to be innovative in order to future-proof your business that that I tend to really uh, like to disrupt or look at things maybe a little bit differently. So when I hear advisors say, well, my clients aren't using our client portal, I like to ask them, well, what is the reason for that? Is that because your clients don't want a client portal or because your client portal is so bad that they don't use it? It's not adding value to them. It's not meeting their expectations. I think oftentimes we all like to think that the reason someone isn't using something isn't, is because they're not ready to adopt it yet. They're not ready for the behavioral change required um, And in some cases, they might even think, well, that's why I'm here is to help do those things for them. Um, You know, and and that is partially true. But at the same time, you know, for instance, you take the client portal question. Are advisors, clients not logging into the advisor's portal because the experience is bad? And what type of data do they have that shows how often their clients are logging into the custodian's portal. Mm. If you have both sides of that equation, then I think you can formulate an answer. But just looking at our own half doesn't allow us to, you know, effectively get to uh, a conclusion that that will help drive our business forward. If our clients aren't using e-signature, what is so bad about our e-signature process that we need to change to get clients to use it? How could we make it even better? How could we make it easier? You know, have we asked clients why they don't want to do it? And what can we do to break down those barriers to actually make, you know, this this process more efficient for us and make the experience of doing business with us better? Yeah. And and, and differentiating based, and I love the idea that you talk about and allude to of differentiating based off of experience, uh, because that's really what it's going to come down to, right? Experiences and the value that you can provide to the individual and, and, and to the client, because, you know, investment management, some can some say it's commoditized. Others say that there's still a lot of uh, opportunity there. But ultimately, uh, all of our clients are going to expect the same type of experiences that they're getting from Netflixes and Amazons and Ubers of the world, uh, because every client is is interacting with that. And so, I guess that gets me to the the question of you all see and can diagnose and dissect firms that um, are innovative and those that are not. And and I know that there is a, it, it comes from just a want to, do, to, to deliver that client experience. But what, what do you believe just within that firm of what they're doing or what their leadership is about, the difference between those firms that are really leading the charge as being an innovative advisory firm, whether they're big or small, 
versus those that are just not quite there yet. They may talk about it, but they're just not acting on what they're talking about. You know, ultimately, to drive innovation and to future-proof your business, I think that it's it comes down to your 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 culture, you know, your corporate culture. Do you have a culture that challenges the status quo, that's, that's you know, uh, un- relatively unsatisfied with the way that things are, and that's constantly looking to improve? Um, or do you have a culture that resists change that, you know, uh, doesn't implement new things or new ways of, of uh, doing business, you know, on a regular and frequent basis? I, I like to challenge uh, firms to set and adopt, you know, one aggressive goal per quarter. And I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but if you're making changes every 90 days within your business over a one, two, three year period, you will find that you're starting to skate, you know, where the puck is going as opposed to, you know, where you're skating to where the puck is is going as opposed to skating to where it's at today. And those firms, you know, that can truly adopt culturally a uh, attitude towards innovation of acceptance versus, you know, rejecting change. Ultimately, those those firms, you know, really are fun to work with. And you see them adopting things at a faster clip than, than the firms that, that don't have that DNA embedded within, you know, that innovative DNA embedded within their their culture. And, you know, a, an easy example of something that I, I try to do is, you know, every month I meet with the new hires, the new staff members that, that we've recruited to be part of our Orion team. And when I sit down with them, I just simply explain to them, you know what, we're going to train you. We're going to make sure that you're knowledgeable and proficient in knowing how to do your job today. And in nine to 12 months from now, what you're doing is going to look completely different than what you're doing today. It's, it's fun and exciting to be part of a tech business that's, that's innovating and growing. But the innovation and the growth means that you're going to have to adapt to change very quickly. And, you know, if you can start to embed that thought process with your team, you know, you'll find that you'll, you'll be relatively innovative and, you know, you'll be able to drive change. And the, the reality is, in financial services, as you've alluded to, you know, we're not typically known for being the most innovative uh, as an industry. And because of that, you know, you can look at what other companies are doing outside of our industry, get ideas, implement them, and, and you'll, uh, you know, you'll, you'll find that your company has, has built a reputation for themselves as, as being pretty innovative. Yeah. And that's, um, yeah, that idea of getting over that hurdle of that, I love that goal aspect of, um, you know, a 90 day goal because that helps people get this concept of a culture of change, right? A culture of being okay with trying something and it not working and iterating, which then ultimately that allows for you to, to, as you say, innovate and future proof your, your business. And, um, 
and, and I think that you know what y'all have built at Orion is a is a powerful technology that 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 can literally change a a firm in the way it does business, and and y'all made a strategic decision to. Uh, open up your APIs and open up your technology to allow other technologies to integrate with um, with you all. And you know, you look at a lot of the technologies, and y'all are well ahead of the curve and in, in forward thinking on that side of it. You know, I'd I'd love to know why y'all did that, and 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 for the advisors out there that may not know what APIs are or what open architecture means to them, what value does that bring to your clients by being so open with your architecture and your technology? Yeah, great, great, uh, great point. And, you know, ultimately, you know, we made a decision uh, over a decade ago as a result of attending Joel Brunkenstein's T3 conference that, hey, the, the future of this business is not providing everything from A to Z as a as a tech company. Being great at you know the core essence of our business, but then being willing to open up and integrate with others to help our advisors drive operational efficiency, drive client experience uh, in a very uh, optimal way. Now, a decade ago, uh, it was you know things uh, that. Were, were pretty basic. You know, they were batch file exchanges, uh, single sign-on from one system to another, uh, that type of thing. But as technology advanced, it allowed us to open up uh, ways that we could communicate with other systems or have other systems communicate with us in a very real-time uh, atmosphere. It did require us to re-engineer the architecture of our system to, uh, you know, leverage these uh, APIs. But in essence, those APIs uh, that we use to communicate with our external integration partners are the same APIs that we use to build our uh, user experience here at Orion. So we, we expose those same uh, communication endpoints to our integration partners that, that we use internally. And if you think about it, uh, you know, many of us uh, are using iPhones today, but the iPhone that I use, the apps that I use, the apps that are available to me in the iOS store are going to be uh, a little bit unique to me the combination of those apps as compared to, you know, what you use, Matt, or what, what others are using. And that, that approach of being open to integrating with others that are adding value in very unique ways that Apple really presented, you know, uh, and Android uh, with their uh, phones and tablet devices is the exact same thing that, that we seek to adopt here with our Orion technology. We want to make sure that as our independent advisors are adding value in very unique ways to their clients, that they have the ability to leverage, uh, you know, our Orion data with the other applications that they need to uh, leverage, do so very accurately, quickly, efficiently uh, to provide and add value to their to their clients. It's 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 really that simple. That analogy of of Apple and the phones, I think, is is a close parallel to what we're seeking to do with the data that we have, um, you know, here in our systems. Yeah, no, that's great. And um, 
and it makes a lot of sense, right? Because I, I think you, you mentioned it earlier, every advisor does adds their unique value in a, in a unique way, in a different way. And, and you got to be flexible enough. And that's the beauty of where we are within technology today is that uh, firms like yours and others out there uh, in the ecosystem are able to be agile enough to, to, to provide that flexibility. And so I want to wrap up this section of it before we get into the buy and sell segment. Uh, and I always like to ask this question to all of, all of our our guest. And and I know that it's difficult and I'm not going to hold you to any of it unless it's right. Then I'll praise you for it. Um, is <laughs> taking out your crystal ball and, and, and let's look 10 years out. What does this industry look like 10 years from today? I think that the industry itself, uh, in terms of the types of clients that we serve, is going to look very much like it does today. The way in which we serve those clients will be fueled by some awesome technologies. You know, we'll be able to leverage uh, big data, artificial intelligence, uh, automation at levels that we currently don't even dream of. But the type of client that our advisors are serving will continue to be uh, the type of a client that is a delegator and that is looking for someone uh, that can provide them expertise, consultative advice, and absolutely done so on a fiduciary basis 10 years from now. Someone that will be able to, to provide that advice in a way that is you know, representative of that client's best interests, backed up by a myriad of automated uh, data points and, in essence, artificial intelligence that will uh, prove out that advisor's ability to add value um, to that delegator persona. I love that. I think that... um... I think that sums it up in the sense of many advisors sometimes think that the the change in the innovation or the innovation, the change in the industry is going to affect uh, the business at the core of terms of the clientele, but rather it's going to be just how that clientele is served, and that's where uh, the same clients are always going to need this service. It's still a service at the at the root at the kind of the heart of it, um, and so they're always going to need that service. So. Um, I love that. So I'm going to pin that up on my board and in 10 years, I'll check back in and, and, and we'll see if that's right. And I'll make sure to, <laughs> to post something out there. That sounds for great. It. All right. Um, <laughs> so let's, uh, let's, let's go into our buy or sell segment. This was a, a, you know, my, my ability or my, my, my attempt to uh, tie in technology with the trading and investing aspect for financial advisors with buy sell. So I got four statements here. Um, and really, you know, just having you say buy if you agree with it or sell if you disagree with it. And then maybe a quick reason of why you're going one direction or the other. And we'll see if you're a bull or a bear or maybe just kind of uh, a wait and see, a hold and see type person. So um, the first one here is buy or sell. The future of innovation in our industry will be with certain processes, technologies, or solutions that will be noticeable to end clients. So think client experience there. I think I know where you're going to go with this. Bye. Absolutely. I, I'm a strong buy on that. I'm a, a big believer that that is indeed the case, that these technology innovations will absolutely be noticeable to the end client. And, 
And you know, the reason I put that one in there, and I just, we're gonna take a sidetrack here for a second, is the reason I put that one in there is because I think that, I feel that if you look over the past 10 years or 15 years or so, a lot of the technologies that financial advisors have invested in have all been back office or behind the scenes technologies. And which means that then in the future, they're gonna have to start creating technologies that um, that create more of the, the front end client visual aspect of things. Um, yep, absolutely so, agree. So buy or sell, second one, buy or sell, developers will be a financial services most needed position within the next seven years. I would say sell on that. I, I think that financial services is going to be the beneficiary of you know, IT development that takes place. But I still believe that that CFP, uh, you know, the the skills that the CFP has are, are going to be the most needed um, over the next seven years. I agree. And, and development talent is already scarce. So I, I wouldn't assume that a, you know, any technology firm out there wants another industry to be needing that scarce talent at the at this point right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I hope it's I hope it is a sell for, for all of us. Um, buy or sell, really kind of going on on how competition is going to be here is smaller RIAs will continue to be able to compete with large rollups and discount broker dealers by being nimble and innovative with their firms. I would give that a strong buy, and I'll tell you why. I believe that technology is the great equalizer, and the cost of doing business will continue to go down as we continue to see technology advance and, and drive the cost of doing business down. Yeah. Right now, I believe that the independents have uh, equal or better technology available to them as compared to... Uh, brokers that are affiliated with uh, household brands. And uh, as a result, I, I expect that trend to continue. That's a, uh, that should be, that's uplifting news for I think anybody out there because I, I think that you know, some look at these bigger brands and say they can spend more money and adopt. And it's not a matter, and it goes back to something, and I, I think I know what the answer to this next buyer sell is going to be, but it goes back to something you said earlier is just adopting technology or buying technology is not going to create the adoption and the change that is needed. And so the bigger firms have the, it's, it's harder for them to be nimble and, and understand the processes and get the people on board than it is for a small RA. And that's something that is, uh, they can move quicker and then adopt the technology to have a greater impact to start competing there, which I think is a great, um, is a great thing for, for any RIA out there. Um, all right, last one here, buy or sell. And, I, and again, I think I know where you're going to go with this one. But the slowness of adoption of technology within our industry is mainly due to a lack of education of the technologies, etc. I would say uh, sell on that. Again, I think advisors are aware and even overwhelmed with the availability of technology uh, that is out there for them to leverage today. I, I think that going back to what we talked about earlier, uh, I think that the, the main thing holding firms up today are the, the people and processes, you know, those behavioral changes that, that need to be uh, updated and, and modified and included. Um, you know, those, those are the things that are, that are really holding us back at this point. 
I agree with that. I agree with that. So that's another thanks for playing the game, Eric. I appreciate it uh, going along with some of those questions. And so what I want to do here is give you some time, you know, 90 seconds or so, uh, to really give the listeners one item that they can really execute on today to push their firm forward. And so, you know, given what we've talked about, um, you know, what is one thing that that, a, that an advisor or a leader or even a uh, uh, an outside salesperson can go to their firms or go back into their firms and say, what can they go and implement today to really push their firm forward and ahead of the rest of the industry um, as it is right now? That's a great question. And I think I'm going to go back to, you know, something that I had mentioned earlier, Matt, and that I think that the the most important thing for firms to, to go back and implement is cultural. It's within their, if they can, if they can drive a uh, corporate culture of innovation, it will future proof their business and allow them to win more than their fair share of opportunities. And I think that there's nothing that an advisor or a firm could do to better position themselves for growth and future opportunities than to adopt a culture of, of innovation. You know, I understand that that's difficult in some situations. Uh, I think that an easy way to start is start uh, going after one goal per quarter. And over time, as you disrupt the way that you're doing things today, over time, uh, you know, within a relatively short time frame, if you can set and implement, you know, one innovative goal for your firm every 90 days over a one, two, three year time frame, you'll really see, uh, you know, your opportunities open up as a result of, of making those, those changes to your culture and, and truly becoming an innovative uh, firm. I love that. I am a huge fan and proponent of that. And so in my closing thoughts, going to go somewhat in line with that right here. And so some of the biggest challenges that leaders face is when we don't expect a problem to actually become a problem. We don't foresee it coming. And many leaders tend to see things as what they want them to be as opposed to what they actually are. Reality doesn't match our desires or the way we hoped things would be, and that can cause a problem. And as innovations infiltrate our industry and change the way that things are done, from communication with clients to reporting to compliance to investment management, we as an industry will be faced with facing reality or continue to hold true to what we wish reality is or was. Innovation is happening within our space as we speak right now. It's only in the early innings as we've talked about here today, which means those that push against the trend will continue to face challenges of individual desired reality misaligning with actual industry reality. This doesn't mean that we all have to believe in each innovation or even adopt every innovation that comes out. Rather, it means we must be aware of the changes that are happening and open to what is actually happening in our industry. Management theorist Peter Sang said in his book, The Fifth Discipline, that the most effective people are those who can hold their vision while remaining committed to seeing what current reality is doing clearly. When it comes to financial services, the industry is evolving. Our clients are expecting us as advisors to evolve as well. Putting the blinders up for this may not cause a problem today, but it surely will challenge firms 
over the coming years. Eric, I really do appreciate you uh, uh, taking time out of your day to join us here on Bridging the Gap. So thank you very much. Thank you, Matt. It's been an honor to be able to spend some time with you today. I appreciate it. And all the listeners out there, thank you for tuning in. And hopefully you took one thing away that can make your firm more innovative and bridge the gap between what you're doing today and the technology innovation that's going on. Have a great rest of the day. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. The Central